Good evening, my friends. My name is Adam, and I will be your host on A Haunted History, the podcast that will lead you on a spine-tingling journey through the shadowy corridors of the past. From the eerie echoes of ancient castles to the whispered secrets of forgotten battlefields, each episode will transport you to a different era where history and the supernatural collide. So dim the lights, my friends, and gather around as we prepare to embark on a historic adventure beyond the veil. Welcome once again to A Haunted History. Now, before we get started, as always, your feedback is very important. Please rate us, follow us on social media, and don't forget to comment. You can also email us if you have any questions, comments, or maybe even a supernatural story that you would like to share in an episode. And you would be included in a personal shout out as well. All of these links will be available at the bottom of the episode, including a donation link. So today's episode is going to feature uh, burial practices and highlight how they showed a lot of fear when it came to the unknown, when it came to the undead, the unknown, uh, spiritually unknown, and kind of show that there's always kind of been a fear of things that go bump in the night, of things that were once human. Uh, being taken to the spirit world, um, even buried alive, you know, from from Poe to modern, you know, media showing things like Vampire Diaries, the originals, uh, movies like Interview with the Vampire, to all of the Ghost Hunter shows on TV now. The list goes on and on. We are fascinated by what scares us. But why is that? Where do these concepts come from? And how old are they? They're not as new as you might think. In fact, fear of the undead is not that recent. There was recently a discovery in Jordan that dates back to 9,000 years ago, where bodies were found dismembered upon the excavation of grave sites, just chopped to pieces. Now, this was before... Uh, prehistory before written language, so archaeologists can only uh, theorize to exactly why this was done. I guess they thought either A, you hate your neighbors, or B, you were scared they were going to come back as something else. Now, fast forward 4,000 years, and there seems to be an understanding that the spirit uh, survives outside the body. Now, this uh, would take place with more of a written language when you come to Mesopotamia um, and Sumeria. So, in the Epic of Gilgamesh, which is one of the first recorded epic poems on record, you actually have the mention of Lilithu, uh, which, if you're into the vampire lore, if you're into the vampire shows um, at all, you probably recognize the name Lilith on there. So this would actually be part of the creation myth of Lilith on there. Now, in ancient Sumerian, I can't even pronounce the name that they actually called her, but it does mean dark maiden. And her creation story is kind of fascinating in the fact that it kind of moves around depending on what 
culture you're focused on. Uh, the ancient Egyptians had a different origin myth, um, as did the Greeks, um, moving up all the way through the Middle Ages. And then you've got Jewish folklore, which focuses on Lilith being actually the first Eve, the, the first wife of Adam. And to some that might actually be confusing because that was not mentioned in the Bible. It was mentioned in a later text, um, which they now call Genesis 1, uh, where Lilith, or the first Eve, was created alongside Adam. And then there's Genesis 2, which we know as um, Adam's rib being removed and the second Eve, his wife that we now know of, um, coming into being. So, I don't know why Lilith, the first Eve, would have been tossed out of paradise. In fact, I couldn't really find any record on that. But the theory that she preyed on um, virile men and uh, pregnant women and children um, has long been legend. And that she was known as pretty much the Queen of the Damned. So, the original Queen Vampire the creator. Uh, this was true all through Mesopotamia. Greek, the, the Greeks also have their own uh, origin story. Um, obviously, she was a daughter of Zeus. Um, he pretty much gave birth to everybody <laughs> in Greece, and he gave birth to most of his problems that he had. Uh, so, um, it's it's one of these things that we don't exactly know where it started. We think it started in Mesopotamia, but the story evolved and stayed stayed alive and stayed present um, through many different cultures, all the way up to the Middle Ages. In Jewish folklore, there have actually been talismans and amulets found with the inscription, the first Eve, uh, meant to actually protect against these kind of uh, attacks. And as far back as Mesopotamia, amulets and talismans were present uh, to protect against attacks from the undead. They were particularly scared of things that drank blood. So that was one way they protected themselves. They also had certain rituals they did, but I've not found any detailed documents as to what those rituals actually were. Now, um, as far as deviant burials, um, as I mentioned before, with the one where the dismemberment happened 9,000 years ago, I uh, want to mention again that they don't know if that's the reason why, but unless you really hate your neighbors, that's what I would think it would come from. But deviant burial sites, um, as they are called, have been found throughout Europe in various forms, uh, with stakes being placed through bodies, um, hands and feet being bound. And one of the first popular ways to actually kill a vampire would be to decapitate it and then place the head at the feet. Uh, so in Greece, there actually have been records of bodies being pinned down by giant boulders, legs, arms, necks, even the head. In Ireland, it was popular to stick uh, materials, um, including rocks, into the mouths of the deceased so that they would not be able to come up and actually feed 
on the, uh, the living. But, you know, honestly, whether it's vampires, ghosts, or being drawn into the spirit world, the evidence is certainly there, um, looking back into antiquity, uh, to make the argument that uh, our ancestors were definitely scared of what they couldn't see. So, and this leads me kind of into uh, the Victorian era, actually. I'm going to jump. I'm going to jump a little here. Uh, so the the this episode is to focus on burial practices, and then I want to focus on more recent practices, and I'm going to focus on the Victorians. The reason why I'm doing this is because I have a little bit of a background in it. Uh, on October 13th, I returned to my old stomping grounds at Faust Park in Chesterfield, Missouri. Uh, this is an area that houses many old buildings. And I used to volunteer there when I was younger. I would even do it in full costume. But uh, don't ask. I will not be sending any pictures out of me dressed in any of those costumes. So that's not going to happen. But uh, I would educate people in the wonderful buildings as well as the uh, people that might have lived there and uh, how they would have lived in the eras in which the uh, buildings were dated. So on October 13th, they actually did a presentation on uh, burials and funeral practices uh, focused on uh, not only um, a little, not only in the Victorian era, but a little before that as well. So they did do that. And I thought it's always good to uh, get a refresher on this. Some of it I was privy to and I already knew, and some of it was uh, even new to me. So that's why I wanted to stop by, see some old friends and, uh, and get a nice update. And, you know, nothing more fun than October 13th. So I figured I'd stop by. So it seems that the Victorians were not as scared of vampires as they were uh, the spirit realm or being taken into the spirit realm. Um, from anybody that's familiar with the text of Bram Stoker's Dracula, you might sit there and say, well, this was written around towards the end of the Victorian era. But you'd be wrong. And I was newly educated to this as well. I did not realize this. A lot of things that I've been reading have shown that Bram Stoker's Dracula was less about vampires and the undead and more about the British fear of immigration. It was actually very anti-Semitic uh, because there was a lot of Jewish immigration at the time into Europe. And the idea was that immigrants brought a certain kind of moral decay towards the Victorian lifestyle. In particular with Bram Stoker's Dracula, um, the Dracula character was hypersexual. And this highlighted the fact that women of that era were supposed to be in the home and be very chaste and take care of the home. And the movie and book uh, both showed a an attitude towards sexuality that was not acceptable at that point. Uh, it showed a very liberated free woman, a very sexually active woman that was not taking care of the home. So it was more of a um, text on the, the decay of morality at that point. So it's not really about vampires. So the Victorian era was, was mainly... They were scared, and their superstitions really stemmed from the 
the idea of ghosts and being taken into the supernatural world. So, you know, when you when you look into what exactly they were scared of on here, fear and superstitions, I mean, it was anything from pictures being laid down to mirrors and windows being covered, clocks being stopped at the time of death, and now I'm not speaking ill of the dead, um, practices of death eating, and uh, I'm going to get into all of these as well. So uh, with pictures being laid down, they laid down the pictures because they were afraid that the deceased might see somebody and want to take them with them to the spirit world. This was very, this was a time where the, the body, the spirit was actively leaving the body during a wake. And they wanted to make sure that if the body was actually deceased, the spirit wasn't going to take the person or the loved ones away with it. So placing the, the pictures in the house downward so that it cannot be seen was one way they believed to stop that from happening, um, as well as covering mirrors and windows because those were both thought of as portals to uh, another realm. And if during a wake when a body was presented in the home, they were afraid that when the spirit was leaving the body that it might draw somebody um, into one of those portals, be it a window or the mirror itself. Uh, stopping the clock was a little bit different. I actually didn't know this until I went there on the 13th and I, I was kind of shocked by this, but it made a little bit of sense is you stop the clock at the time of death because you didn't want the deceased to see the clock running and believe that they were still alive, but you wanted them to recognize that they were deceased. And there was the practice also of speaking ill of the dead. You didn't do that because you would be the next to die. It was almost like um, getting a curse placed on you. It just wasn't done in, in polite company. So, and then there are two more. One, there are two more that that I found fascinating. Um, the idea of the Death Eater. Now, anybody that's watched. The Sleepy Hollow TV series that was on a few years ago, they mentioned Death Eaters, but they really didn't go into detail about it. And this is where I gained more detail on October the 13th, was that a loaf of bread was placed on the chest of the deceased. And it was meant to be eaten by the Death Eater. So a Death Eater is somebody that would eat the bread, and the bread was supposed to absorb the sins of this person. So they would eat the bread, and the idea was that they would take on the sins of this person, and that person would be able to um, go into the afterlife. In fact, this was so popular and business was so good that people actually made a living doing this in certain communities and would go from funeral to funeral, offering their services um, eating the bread of the dead and becoming death eaters because it was quite lucrative on that. And then there is the um, the practice of carrying the body out of the house um, feet first. The idea behind this was that you didn't want the deceased person to be able to look back into the house and decide that they wanted to take somebody with them. So these these practices were really out of they didn't want to get taken away. They didn't want the deceased person to stick around. They were they were scared of 
uh, ghosts. They were scared of, of you know, being drawn into the spirit realm. Uh, but what what is really interesting about this is the way they treated um, their cemeteries. Many of them were treated as public parks. They were well kept, and people would actually go on dates in them during the Victorian era. It's kind of weird. Um, very macabre. Um, taxidermy was also at an all-time high during this time. Um, it was very hyped up. Again, also another weird practice that they did during that. So now there is the difference between a, I, I've mentioned cemeteries, but there's a difference between a cemetery and a graveyard. Some people know this, some people don't. So a graveyard is usually smaller and it would be attached to a church. Now, with the graveyard, you cannot bury somebody that's been cremated. However, cemeteries were usually larger, found in more residential areas, and you could bury somebody that was cremated. And like I said, they were treated as public parks. You would go on dates, go on strolls. It wasn't just like we do today, going to the cemetery or the graveyard to visit a deceased relative or view their gravestone. It was meant to be more of an entertainment, which was kind of weird. And among their other weird practices that they did around the dead was the actual wake itself. So the purpose of the wake, obviously, is to make sure the person's not dead. Obviously, they were very scared of being buried alive. Medical science, especially during the Victorian era, had progressed. Uh, but at the same time, they still didn't really have a definitive way to prove that somebody wasn't actually dead. In fact, the only way they could really prove it at that point, the person was in a, in a coma, was that the body had started to decay. You would think, you know, no pulse and, you know, no breathing would be, you know, the way to tell this. But no, really, decay was really the only way they did it. Uh, however, they did do stuff focused around breath. They would place uh, mirrors below the deceased person's mouth and nose to see if they fogged them up. And when it came to being buried alive, they had a few practices in this, and this was popularized really. Poe kind of showed the the fear of this. Um, Cast of Amontillado, where the gentleman was walled up in the wall they were they were very scared of being buried alive but one of the ways that they tried to combat this is they would have coffins with windows so the deceased could be viewed um, all the way to the burial site um, they would also do the practice of tying a bell so they would tie a bell to the per like tie a rope to the person's hand and the rope would would lead through a pipe up to the surface where it was tied to a bell. And if you were wealthy enough, you could hire somebody to sit by the, the gravesite for usually around one night to make sure the bell wasn't being rung. Now, my friends at Faust have told me that there were records of people actually ringing the bell and being dug up, but they couldn't exactly give me any details on when and how many times this has actually happened. But apparently, it it did happen on this. Uh, the, the the wake itself was was kind of funny in the fact that it was treated half as 
observing the body to make sure the body wasn't dead and almost like a party. And when I say that, it, it, it gets kind of weird. So they would bake a cake and yeast around this era did not rise really high like it does today. So the cake wouldn't be very large. So what they would do is they would invite their neighbors, as I was told, uh, to bring like layers. And the more layers on the cake showed your social standing within the neighborhood. So whoever had the highest cake during a wake, it would show them to be the most popular or prominent person. So, and this wasn't the only weird practice they did. In fact, un undertakers would pray, especially on widows. I mean, these guys could have given P.T. Barnum a run for his money as salesmen because they would go after women. And what they would do is they would try to sell uh, coffins to them that were very ornate and very expensive. And But the idea really wasn't behind the fact that these coffins were for the deceased. The idea was that the coffins would attract a wealthy suitor that might stop by and they would see the wealth and the opulence of that widow through the the kind of party she threw as well as the coffin that she provided on there. Now, so everybody knows about flowers. And if I'm moving through this too fast, I, I apologize on this, but everybody knows about the flowers at, at, a, at, a, at a funeral. Most people think, like I would, oh, they're to show respect and you buy flowers. And nowadays it's, you know, the bigger bouquet show or the bigger arrangement shows, you know, how much money you have or how much you cared for the deceased. Back during colonial and Victorian times, and I would think even beyond that, flowers were actually used to obviously mask the stench of decay. A wake usually lasted about three to four days and it was because most family members had to travel very far. I mean, they all didn't live in the same area. So you wanted to try to keep things as fresh as possible. I mean, the body was washed and the body was prepared and herbs were applied. But the more flowers you had did help mask uh, the, the smell that did arise from this. And during... so. Here's a funny fact that I didn't even know, and it didn't even occur to me. So the idea of a living room versus a parlor. So parlors are where you displayed the body because there was usually not a place nearby that you could take the body to. You usually were only able to transport them from the bedroom to display them prominently in an area where people could come, pay their respects, and also visually see that the body was actually deceased. But towards the end of the 1800s, around 1880, there was a huge boom in funeral homes and a way to actually get the body out of the house and nicely displayed in a different area obviously. So 
people didn't want parlors anymore because they had a negative connotation of death. They wanted living rooms. They wanted rooms associated with life. So there, my friends, is where you get the idea of the living room, which I never knew. I was kind of shocked to know that practice because I, I never, never knew that. So the Victorian era was pretty funny because they were scared of death, but the reason for their fascination with it as well is the very high mortality rate that they had. So they kind of had to walk hand in hand with it. So they took steps to make it part of their daily lives, like the picnicking in the cemeteries and the taxidermy and um, some of the practices that I've mentioned that they've used. Um, but they were also definitely afraid of it, as I've also mentioned. So that is that is pretty much all I've got for this episode. I, I hope you enjoyed it. And I also want to mention that I know that I have not mentioned anything about any hauntings yet in the two episodes that I've put out this episode in the, in the previous one about Halloween. However, uh, the reason why I'm doing these two episodes is because I kind of just wanted to lay the groundwork on our fears and uh, of the macabre and also our fascination of it. So um, the next episodes I have will be more on hauntings and things of that nature. I do promise that. Uh, but there'll be plenty of history as well. Unfortunately, you'll still have to deal with me, but uh, hopefully I can get my co-host in on this uh, and have some interviews. He actually is in Puerto Rico right now, so I do apologize. He's on vacation. But uh, again, thank you very much for listening. And please, like I said, like, comment, look for us on social media, and uh, I will see you soon, my friends. Have a good night. Thank you.